Welcome to another special guest Saturday with your hosts, Meg and Dr. G, who sit down today with Coach Melissa Kutcher-Reinhardt, head coach of the University of Denver Women's Gymnastics Program. Since arriving in 1999, Kutcher-Reinhardt has led Denver to 21 consecutive appearances at the NCAA Regionals and five NCAA National Team berths. Kutcher-Reinhardt's teams have made program history with Denver's first ever appearance in the NCAA Team Championship Final in 2019, with back-to-back -back appearances in the NCAA National Championships in 2007 and 2008. In her career, Kutcher Reinhardt has had at least one individual qualify for NCAA Nationals in 20 consecutive years, including two NCAA Individual National Champions. In 2019, she was named the WCGA National Head Coach of the Year. This is Sport Knowledge. Hey, Megan, Dr. G here for SPKN, and we are here with Coach Melissa Kucher-Reinhardt, who is entering her 23rd season at the helm of the University of Denver's gymnastics program. We are so happy to welcome the 2019 WCGA National Head Coach of the Year to SPKN. Now, Melissa, let's speak some sport knowledge. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. We are so excited to hear how you have created such an incredible legacy at, at Denver. How did this all happen? How did this start? Great question. Um, with a lot of people who are a whole lot better than I am <laughs> in their areas and in their fields. And I say that jokingly, but I actually say that with a lot of seriousness too. I mean, I've been really, really fortunate and blessed. I mean, you know, I can't be an expert in every field. I can't be, you know, I don't have that level of education or training in those specific areas. I'm not a practicing sports psychologist or a nutritionist or a dietitian or I'm not a registered strength and conditioning coach. I know just enough to be dangerous in all of those areas, but I'm so happy that I am fortunate and blessed enough to truly be surrounded by people who are experts in their fields. And they have given their heart and their soul and their time and their energy um, to these student athletes and to these young women to really perform at the highest level. And, um, and it's more than just about money for them. It's a passion for them. And so to have a team of people around you that are, that are the very, very best in their field, you know, whether again, that sports medicine, whatever it might be, makes a big difference. I don't know if you'd like to talk about it as well, too, to even go further back, but DU Gymnastics, Women's Gymnastics has a long history of, you know, fielding very competitive teams and, and success and championships. Yeah, thank you, Brian. You know, I was really fortunate when I first, so I started my journey, obviously, as a gymnast myself. And then I competed at the University of Florida. And then I went on to be the assistant coach at the University of Michigan. And I only say that because that journey taught me something every step of the way. And then fortunate enough to come here. And when I was at University of Michigan, I was the assistant coach and then come to University of Denver as the head coach. And when I walked into the University of Denver program, I want to really give credit to the coach who was here before me. He did a phenomenal job. He had recruited some fantastic student athletes. He had started building that culture, that tradition, that legacy that is Denver gymnastics. And so I was really fortunate and blessed to walk into an environment with student athletes that were passionate and wanting, you know, to have the balance of excellence in both academics and athletics. So um, yes, all the way back from the beginning, <laughs> we've been fortunate enough. I believe it's hockey and gymnastics that have been the two longest standing division one programs at the University of Denver. That's amazing. That's awesome. 
Well, that's one of the things that caught my attention on the website too, and, and looking at the program is that it's got a rich history and it's shared there too. It's there for people to go through the timeline and to engage and get a, a sense of that. And with the other materials that you shared with us as well, and knowing how gymnastics works a bit, it strikes me as this is all very well organized and very intentional in delivering that, those messages to the community. Yeah, that, that, I'm, I'm, I'm laughing when you say that, Brian, because I think back to my like young, uh, early in my career <laughs> as a young head coach here at, at DU. And I think, oh my gosh, if, you know, if I could take some of those things back <laughs> or, um, you know, certainly I experimented, I tried, I wanted to be intentional and thoughtful and deliberate. I don't know that that was always necessarily the case, but I think one thing that is the case, hopefully with myself um, as a, and I take this as um, a point of pride, hopefully a humble point of pride and the people around me to have a growth mindset. And so when, what I didn't know, I hopefully learned. And, you know, you learn through experience. You learn through, you know, those opportunities, those challenges, those adversities, those successes, you learn from it all. And so, you know, we have really tried hard intentionally with our team from a culture standpoint and culture and character development, but also exactly what you just said, Brian, with the community, right? How do we engage people in the community? We were really, really thought, really just super proud and super blessed that last year, one of our competitions, uh, we averaged about 6,100 people in Um, our Magnus Arena at the Ritchie Center and the rest of our competitions averaged around 5,000 people in meet. And that's honestly just thanks to great grassroots effort, team of people, including uh, the coaching staff and the student athletes, as well as a phenomenal group of individuals in the athletic department, really every day, day after day, year after year, talk about gritty and resiliency, but, you know, really trying to, like you said, Brian, send that message that we, our athletes want to be role models, right? That these are young, powerful, dynamic, capable women and, you know, come see gymnastics. And usually for people who haven't seen it, when they come, they hopefully, hopefully end up really enjoying it and loving it and want to kind of come back. And we've built up that following. And what's fun for me is not only is that following with obvious, the obvious audience in terms of the Colorado clubs, Colorado gymnastics clubs in the areas, but what's also more rewarding to me is the just the community members, you know, daughters with, uh, you know, fathers with daughters or senior citizens or our demographics seems to run the board. Um, and that's kind of been fun for me, too. So it's taken a long time to build this kind of following and this kind of attendance. But I find it so rewarding because for our student athletes that started probably somewhere in the range of, you know, six to eight years old. The ones, you know, that are not doing, most of them are not doing any kind of gymnastics once they graduate. You know, it's not an Olympic bound thing for them. And this is it. This is the big part of their career. This is the culmination of all their hard work, the opportunity to try to strive to win a national championship or to compete in front of your friends and fans and alumni and supporters and feel that energy. And I can tell you when it is in There is so much energy in that arena and it's electric and it's exciting and it's fun. And that's definitely something we're going to miss right now with COVID. (laughs) But I know that our athletes are still training hard and looking forward to hopefully some sort of competition this year. What are you, what are you doing around COVID? I mean, what, how have you been kind of keeping, keeping everybody going and keeping the, the fans going? 
as you've created such a great following? Yeah, you know what? That's such a great question, Meg. Um, and I'll probably answer it a little bit long-winded. You know, we've all had to kind of look at what are those silver silver linings in COVID? What are the blessings we can find? And obviously our heart continues to go out to all the people, you know, around the world here at home and around the world who are suffering, you know, from a health standpoint or financial standpoint. But we really tried hard as a coaching staff to say, what can we do for our particular program, for our team, for our student athletes? How can we continue to grow? And I'll tell you one of the best silver linings and then I'll get to answering your question directly. You know, we said in the spring when, when everything really got shut down in March, you know, following the spring and into the summer, you know, we always have had our, what we call in our program, practice standards and competition standards and a philosophy and values. You know, you get so busy, let's face it, as you know, all of us, we just get so busy in what we're doing, whether that's school, whether that's gymnastics, what, whatever that might be, I'm um, in recruiting or travel, and you really don't have time to go back and say, are these things still truly relevant to what we're doing? Do they need to be updated? Are they more than just words? What are the action items behind these words? How do we demonstrate this? Is this still what we believe in as a philosophy? And we went almost back to the beginning. And what was great was most of what we had is timeless. And so it made me feel good that there were some, a lot of consistencies there, but it was so great. This is a different group of student athletes than when that was created, right? And, you know, these student athletes, they, you know, different people might have different views. They are great. They are hardworking. They are committed. They are passionate. If anything, they're a little hard on themselves, you know, and I do not find them entitled at all. And maybe it's just because I'm very fortunate. I don't really know, but they were engaged in that process. They gave great feedback. And so it was this wonderful opportunity for us to meet with our team on a consistent basis throughout the spring and summer to really look at that philosophy and that vision and mission and values and say, do they, you know, do they equate to what we still do? And how do we, because I believe it's the culture that's going to drive the winning, you know, not anything else. It's not going to be the athletic gifts they have or how smart they are. <laughs> it's going to be the character and the culture that drive the winning. And so that was fantastic. We also did take that a step further to answer your question and did ask ourselves, how can we still engage with our friends, fans, alumni? And we had some great Zoom alumni calls where we invited all our alums to get on Zoom. And that was great. We also had a season ticket Zoom call. And so some of, again, these things that we're finding as silver linings, this is a different way to connect with people that I actually don't know why we didn't think of sooner. Yeah. And I would actually probably say, I want to keep some of these alumni Zoom calls and some of these season ticket holder Zoom calls. It's a different way to interact, ask questions that we don't get when you're looking up at the stands, do you know, or you try to interact with all your alums, but it's difficult to do. And it's, and it's difficult for them to connect with each other. Everyone's life, you know, is so busy. And so it's been great to try to find and brainstorm these new ideas. That's great how you've taken that opportunity to, to really challenge yourself to, to create new new ways of connecting with people. I'll, I'll drill down a little bit further. I'm kind of curious to hear, because in some of the coaching literature, it talks about, you know, the coach having a clear vision, philosophy, values tied to their practices. And so I'm really curious to hear a little bit more about how you facilitated those discussions. And it sounds like the athletes were involved and it wasn't just a, a coach, coaching staff. I'm telling you, this is how we do things versus, no, let's, let's be a little bit more, we might say athlete centered, or let's be a little bit more collaborative in that approach. Can you, can you say a little bit more about that? 
Yeah, I love that. So we've done that in several ways. So first, every summer, we read a book as a team. And so last year, the book was Toughness by Jay Billis, um, which I really loved. This year, it was Wooden on Leadership, which also we really loved. And, you know, we were able to, you know, and again, time permitting, it was different, right? Because we're not, we weren't able to be together and we weren't training together. And again, the silver lining is in the past, we might've said, read the book and give us a synopsis. Like, you know, give us a summary of the book. And is it meaningful? Yes, of course it's meaningful and we can discuss those. But this time around, we did it different because we had the time. And so it's talking about slowing things down, really evaluating what's important. And, and people are doing that in so many different areas of their life. And so we read, the coaches kind of read ahead of the team. We would develop questions. We'd put them on a Zoom call, go to breakout rooms and have really in-depth discussions about, but not just about the book. How does the book relate to our specific culture and character? What do we like? What do we do? What are we missing? <laughs> what are those gaps? And how can we kind of fill those gaps in? So that's one way. The second big way is our philosophy is to develop a championship tradition based on a foundation of character, teamwork, and excellence. And so if our athletes can't repeat that exact line to you, they certainly can repeat to you character, teamwork, and excellence, because those are the three things that we have really talked about in depth. And for us, that means really being the best collegiate women's gymnastics team in the country. Now, that might not just be outcome related, right? And it's not just you're only the best collegiate women's gymnastics team in the country if you've won a national championship. Certainly that's a marker <laughs> or where your athletic performance is is a marker. But do we do that in the classroom? Do we do that with our community service? Do we do that with the way we treat each other and respect each other and in our communication and in our inclusiveness? You know, where do we, you know, how do we tie all that together in career preparation or whatever it might be? Or again, having that, you know, character building growth mindset kind of stance. And so we have, what we have developed is what we call like a set of competition standards and a set of practice standards. So for, I'll give you a clear mm -hmm. example right now with our practice standards, we review at the beginning of practice, we say, uh, this is going to be the standard. So let's say it's show enthusiasm can be as something as simple as that. And we'll just say to the team, this is the standard for today in reviewing our standards. Let's try to put that in practice. And at the end of practice, we'll go around in a quick circle and say, tell us how you demonstrated enthusiasm and practice today. So we're really trying, and it only really takes literally one minute at the beginning and maybe five minutes at the end. We're re but hopefully we're letting them hear the word, but then we're pushing them to act on that word during practice because they know when we get to the end of practice, they're going to have to give us an example <laughs> of how they showed enthusiasm during the day. And it's a, a different way to basically just keep reinforcing <laughs> the culture and the values and the character. And so we, we try to find things like that all the time to kind of, you know, the messaging of that and streamlining the messaging of that. So it's always kind of top of mind. I absolutely love the energy that you put towards your team. I mean, it's it's 100% infectious, and <laughs> the engagement that that happens with your team and the and fans and and people watching can see it on the faces. The, these girls are having fun out there, and I think that's so important. What do you look for when you're recruiting? How does this process start? How do you bring athletes into the fold of that and recognize that they're they are going to be as engaged and put all of their effort into the culture as well. 
Yeah, um, that's such a great question. And, you know, I'll give you my perspective on obviously how we recruit. There are people who are much better probably recruiters than I am and have expertise in that area. But I have obviously feel like I've done this a while with the recruiting thing. You know, again, learning from different situations and experiences. We're, I'm pretty blunt in the recruiting piece of things. Um, now, I'm not going to say there isn't an element of, of course, right? You are recruiting someone. You're going to, it's partly sales. It's partly delivery. It's partly engagement and excitement and providing them what, you know, you want to create a vision of what you're program could look like and you want them to be part of that vision. So, but I would also tell you, I have, it might be age. <laughs> um, it might be where we are as a program, but I'm pretty direct about this is the, this is the culture, character, teamwork, and excellence. And then I'll actually go through and hit on every single one of those areas, pretty in depth. Here's what teamwork looks like. Here's what this looks like. Here's what excellence looks like academically and athletically, right? Here, here's what character looks like to us. And I'll go through each of those areas very specifically and, and make, and all you can do is obviously you follow them, you get to know them, you get to know their, you know, hopefully you get to know their family or extended family. Hopefully you can get some information from their clubs, you know, club experiences or whatever, you're not really yet working with them every day all the time. You know, so there's there's a learning curve. There's still no matter how and we pride ourselves on getting to know our our student athletes in the recruitment process long, you know, long before they actually arrive on campus. And do I think it's made a difference? Absolutely. Because even the recruits can now tell you character, teamwork and excellence. So it's already been drilled into them. However, they still haven't worked with you and you still haven't worked with them. So there's always going to be that learning curve to things, but I'm pretty honest about and I wouldn't say pretty, I'm very honest and direct about this is the culture. It's high level academics and athletics. If you're looking for a different experience, this probably isn't the right fit for you. And there's nothing wrong with that actually at all. I, I find no fault in, I want a more social experience or I want a higher level academic, less um, pressure, intense athletic or vice versa. I find nothing wrong with that, but I want it to be the right fit as much as we can and can have that right fit knowing before they come in here by laying out that full picture for them. So I got to follow that up with, have you ever, oops. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you know what? <laughs> yeah. And I'd say, yes, I'd say absolutely. I mean, it's being transparent, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it's in a negative. I would at least hope not. And, you know, I think sometimes it just isn't the right fit and it's no one's fault. It's not their fault, <laughs> not our fault. Sometimes again, you're not working with them every single day all the time. And also, you know, people grow from the ages of set, you know, 16 or whatever you're recruiting them, 15, 16, till, you know, whatever age it might be. And again, so I don't look at that as a negative. Any I maybe would have used to early in my career. <laughs> I don't really look at that as a negative. Certainly when you make a verbal commitment to that, you know, they make it to you, you make it to them you want to do everything in your power to make that work, right? You want to go out of your way to make that work and honor that commitment. But I would also say it is, life is too short. I think we've all <laughs> really learned that now in COVID if we didn't know that before. And it has to be some, you know, you have to spend your time somewhere you're happy and you can enjoy. And is that a higher level of intensity academically, athletically? Is it a different kind of fit? And sometimes that might happen and that's okay. I mean, we obviously try not to have that by being as transparent as we can, 
in that recruiting process, but sure, it's happened over the years. So I, when I was curious, right, how do you compete then in talking about recruitment with the, you know, Florida's, Michigan's, Utah, West Virginia, et cetera, right? You know, D, DU is a D1, you know, rich tradition, but doesn't have the same athletic department budget. And people tend still not to think about it, but you're ranked up there all the time and are producing national champions year after year. What, a lot what of gray hair. Like? <laughs> <laughs> this is a lot of gray hair. Eh? <laughs> Well, you them, must yeah. have started when you were like 12. Are you kidding? <laughs> I mean, come on. <laughs> Youngest coach out there. I, I'm not sure you uh, even graduated high school. Out there. <laughs> no, I wish. <laughs> yeah. You know, Brian, repeat to me that question one more time. Yeah, so so the, the short answer, the short question is, what's the competitive edge? How are you able yeah. to recruit and yeah. then produce these top teams year after year after year? Yes. Well, learning <laughs> and experience, because I will tell you naively so, because this is a more in-depth conversation I'm having with you than I might have, obviously, in a different setting. You know, when I was at Florida and then was at Michigan, those are two big schools, two big fat power five schools, two big football programs, two automatic name recognition, you know, the success that they have had. And I had the opportunity to learn from some tremendous people in those experiences. I probably thought that I would come to Denver and this would happen much sooner than it did. So, you know, I think I came here and thought, oh, we'll have 5,000 people in the stands right away, right? <laughs> and, you know, you know we're, we're right next to the University of Utah and they have 10,000 people in the stands. We'll have 5,000 people in the stands. Okay, sure, we'll try. We can, you know, get, you know, of course you lay out all your short-term goals, <laughs> your long-term goals, right? Your outcome-related or your journey-related goals. And, you know, probably thought we'll, we'll accomplish this and this and this. And then, you know, you find out, and this is part of the, I guess, you know, what we try to tell our athletes, I try to tell myself part of the opportunity of getting to do this, not having to do this, right? But the, the you know, looking for that attitude, finding those silver linings. I've learned so much through this process that I wouldn't have known if I just got to check the box. I didn't know that when I first came to Denver that I would have to do all my own, not my own. Certainly, I am definitely not alone in doing this, but leading the way because that's what a head coach would do, right? Setting the vision and leading the way in budget, in development, in marketing promotions, in game event management, in coaching, in recruiting. And I was like, wow. Now, again, I had, you know, a master's degree in sport administration, but, that, you know, until you're out there and until you're practicing it, until you're having to do it yourself. And that was where, you know, just trial by fire, learning from experience, what works, what did, doesn't work. But I wouldn't have learned those things had I not come to Denver. I'm really thankful for the fact that I did learn, you know, how to engage alumni, you know, all those things that are so important to this overall success of a program where I might've been somewhere with more help, more resources, and I wouldn't have had to get in the weeds. And I think getting in the weeds has made me kind of a stronger coach and have you know, stronger program around us. So um, I will tell you, it, it, you know, it was hard to compete. You know, people have always been bit familiar. They've been familiar with the University of Denver from an academic standpoint. I think University of Denver has great academics and people do recognize that. But when I first got here, the athletic reputation wasn't where it is now. And we have so many phenomenal athletic directors along the way 
that have contributed to the growth of this athletic department and so many fantastic chancellors and provosts and board of trustee members that have grown this athletic department, you know, led all the way by Dan Ritchie and Joy Burns that really, you know, put the athletic department on the map. And now you look at it and you see the success from all the sports. And now I think that is changing. Now I think that people see University of Denver compete in lacrosse, in hockey, in soccer, in everything. And they're like, wow. And now I think that reputation is building that we can offset some of the, hey, we don't have, you know, 50,000 undergraduate students, or we don't have a big football program. I think people who are coming here are no longer looking for that. They're looking for the, you know, close ties, the family feel, they want the one-on-one -on -one interaction with their professors or teachers, or they want maybe the mentorship. They're looking for maybe a program that, again, would focus on what we try to focus on, high-level academics and athletics, right? And they're maybe looking for doing something special, building and continuing to build that legacy. And so I think there's a lot. I think we, in one word, we probably offset it by character. We're not going to have you know, the 24 hour day training tables, maybe, you know, somewhere else has, but it's, 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 what are you looking for, right? Are you looking for those types of things? Are you looking for a meaningful experience that challenges you to be the best, but also provide you those opportunities that when you do enter the working world and the work workforce, hopefully you are prepared and ready and successful. I'm, I almost want to role play. Like I'm a, I'm a 17 year old level 10. You know, taking my trips. I want to yeah. see you in the outfit, G. <laughs> oh, a mess. Put that uniform on, baby. This is, this is my... Am I smiling now? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, you can salute. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I can do it. I can do the whole thing. Yeah, exactly. Kid, we'll, we'll judge you. We'll give you a mock score. <laughs> It's not going to be pretty. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of deductions. There's going to be a lot of. Oh, deductions. where's my paper? <laughs> it's, like that. it's like that. You know, I, I well, I've been to one or a couple of meets at at DU too, and it is a entertaining and high fiving, you know, fast moving thing. It, you know, a lot of sporting events can be slow moving, but you know, I mean, you guys keep it keep it popping. I mean, people are fired up and there's, there's really kids and adults of all ages and backgrounds that come and, and are enjoying the atmosphere and getting after it. And, and the girls do that too. The, you know, the women do that too, with the way that they compete and support each other. Yeah. Thank you. And, you know, I'd again, love to take credit, but absolutely can't. There's been people like Sarah Patterson, Greg Marsden, and I'm sure I'm, I'm referring to people that the audience wouldn't necessarily be familiar with, but the former head coach at the university of Utah, the former head coach at the University of Alabama, Suzanne Yachlin, the former head coach at the University of Georgia, who were really instrumental. Um, I mean, UCLA, UCLA's former head coach, so many people, and I know I'm leaving lots of names out, but that really were instrumental in, in doing that, in figuring out how can it be athleticism balanced with honestly entertainment mm -hmm. and nonstop and you don't get bored and you wanna take part in the action and they did a great job. And then it's up to each university based on their community, their demographic, you know, to tweak it that works for their program. And so we've been able to kind of follow in that lead. That's great. I, I'd like to turn the spotlight on you a little bit more. And 
you know, we're as coaches, we're all part of the coaches that we've had good or bad or kind of in between, but how do you go about kind of processing, especially in the beginning, how do you go about processing how you were coached and how you wanted to coach and create a program? And then what kind of evaluation do you have? Like, how do you, I had the word five seconds ago, how do you kind of go through and make the, make the changes that you want to, or do you do that on a regular basis, kind of evaluate what, how you're working as a, as a coach? Yeah, I mean, that's such a great question and a long and complicated <laughs> question. You know, I'm very fortunate. I have had tremendous role models for coaches as an athlete and as a coach. And so that does make a difference. And I would say they all had very different styles, but I was able to kind of pull from the different styles and kind of integrate what works for me. And I think that would be kind of back to earlier in this conversation and not directly answering your question, Meg. But, um, you know, that's been one of the, and so when you talk about evaluating, like where are you as a coach? And that reflection was um, kind of the word I was looking reflection. for. Reflection, yeah. perfect. Yeah. I think just that is, that's kind of me. That's a little bit of my personality and temperament. I think I'm probably always reflecting and always asking, what can I do better? How can I be better? How can I handle a situation better? How can I motivate? How can I encourage? How can I balance love versus accountability? You know, John Gordon talks a lot about that love versus accountability. I love to read. So I read a lot. And, you know, sometimes they can be, most often they're not in sports, (laughs) you know, and So what can I, can I take some of what I'm learning? Can I reflect on what I'm learning? And can we implement that in a way that works for me? I would say early on though, one of the downfalls was not really being authentic and genuine to myself, right? You have to be like this. You have to look like this. You have to act like this. You have to behave like this to be successful. And it took a little bit right? It took a little bit to say, no, I don't actually. (laughs) I have to be open-minded and I have to look at what works and what has worked, but I can own it and make it my own. And, you know, and I can be genuine and authentic to me. And And I think that is definitely part of just evolution as a coach, as a person, some maturity that probably comes with age and critical thinking. So, you know, I think that's how most often I sort of reflect on that, but I've been very fortunate to have different people and to be able to pull it and say, this works for me and this is not my style and I can try that, but it's never going to be real. And the athletes are going to see right through that. If that kind of answers your question. It does. <laughs> I'm, I'm just so excited about, I don't know about you, but my gymnastics coach was terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm, I'm so happy that there are coaches like you out there. Oh, well, you might want to hold that thought and talk to oh, our okay. student athletes to make sure that they're feeling like that too. I was going to say, can, we'll can get them you, on here. Yeah, well, 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 coach, can you give a specific example of that? So how have you transformed yourself and your coaching over the years? Right. Because it, it, and, and this is, I'm glad we're heading in this direction because right. Gymnastics is very technical disciplinary it can be and it's not a secret to talk about the abuse but you know we have this image of this drill sergeant hardcore gymnastics coach and I'm I'm not saying you were that or aren't that but how have you transformed yourself specifically or what are some of those things that you tried on to wear and then have said no I can't do that that's not me I'm going to do it this way yeah again great question I don't know if I can share specifics, but I can tell you that is when I, again, early in the conversation, I was referring to 
hey, my beginning of my time at DU, you know, you just, you know, I think probably thought I needed to be more of that drill sergeant, right? I needed to be more, you know, do you yell? Do you scream? Do you, you know, do you, you know, not good enough, whatever it might be. And I'm, I'm not, I don't know that was quite ever exactly me, but, you know, certainly as I was fit, you know, feeling on what does that look like? What is the role? How do I motivate and inspire? I bet, you know, one of the assistant coaches, we had a longtime assistant coach here at the University of Denver before he retired. His name was Carl Leland, and he was just a fantastic guy. And I think we all learn values, but, you know, through our upbringing or our experience, but Carl really at a different level challenged me early on. And by the way, I wasn't really enjoying that challenge. I'll have to let you know, <laughs> to say, no, what does your decision, how do you base your decision on your values? What are your specific values? How do they align? Is this decision fall into those? And he really challenged me and I will really credit him for a lot of the early on growth that I had. And then taking it all the way up to now and the two assistant coaches I have right now, they are phenomenal. And that's also how I continue to grow. We all three of us have very different strengths. And, you know, I have, you know, one who's so analytical and data driven and, you know, and if, you know, every second, you know, is planned out kind of like what you would think of in the John, Gord, uh, John Wooden books, you know, every little detail. And then, you know, some, some of us are great at seeing the big picture. Some of us are great at seeing the, you know, very small details. And, they have pushed me and honestly challenged me. And again, to get better. And I've had to get better. When you're surrounded by people who are good, you want to be good too. And that's also to the athletes as well, right? Positive competition in the gym <laughs> makes a big difference in performance and not negative, but positive. But speaking more directly to the question you asked me, and again, not a, not a direct answer. We were just talking about this in the gym the other day. So talk about relevance. And we were having this conversation with our student athletes that how do you develop grit and resiliency and determination and, you know, and perseverance and how are they not just words, but that our job, and this is, I think, where I've grown in, as, a, as an athlete, as a coach, to say to them, there is a balance of love versus, versus accountability. And that's where I've gotten better. And to say to them, you know, I can be easy on you. <laughs> I can give you just a whole lot of love, but we're probably not going to accomplish anything, you know, like, and I can be accountable all the time, but if you don't, you know, you have to know I care about you and that we do care about you as a whole person and as an athlete. And then hopefully that will motivate and inspire you to want to even do better. So it's finding kind of that balance, but I have challenged them even recently that, look for opportunities in the gym to develop <laughs> the resiliency and the grit. Instead of running away from, this is too hard, I'm out of my comfort zone, I don't wanna try, it's too difficult, I don't know mentally if I can do it, right? Gymnastics, there's a huge mental component to it too, the mental toughness piece, you know, and the physical piece, it's hard. It's like every sport, it's truly unique. Every sport has its own thing. And it's a challenge physically and mentally to be at the top of your game. And, you know, especially when you're focusing on this, these tiny little details that make a difference and it's repetition and it's over and over and over again, you know, and, you know, and how do you, but I, I encourage them look for those opportunities because if you truly want to build these skills, you're not going to be able to go out into the real world, right? We all have challenges when you're in the real world, right? When your families, your career, your jobs, who knows what's gonna happen. 
And if you just say, I want to have grit, <laughs> but you've never actually worked on a way to have <laughs> or develop that grit. I don't know that you can use that word, but I don't know that it means anything. It's like when people say confidence, okay, well, what does that actually mean? <laughs> and how are you developing that confidence? And so if they can look for these ways, which is hard to, you know, I think maybe teach an 18 to 23 year old, you know, look for ways to develop the grit and resiliency in the gym. Look for those opportunities to push and challenge yourself because it's going to give you that much more confidence <laughs> later when you need it for competition under pressure or kind of in life. So sorry, Brian, I know that wasn't like an exact answer to your question, but. Yeah, well, I mean, some of the literature, the coaching literature too, there's a, when you read some of the case studies on long-term successful coaches, early on in their careers, they tend to be more disciplinarians and very tough and rigid. And they feel like they have to put on a front, you know, and, and be that role. And then as they get older and, and they start to settle in or be more comfortable and confident as well as I think better teachers, then they don't worry about that. They don't worry about classroom management and discipline as much as they do about the bigger picture of culture, values, seeing things differently that they haven't seen and, you know, better, better performance indicators, if you want to call it that, rather than everybody do as I say or else. Yeah, I, well, I think you're the doctor, so you know more than I do, but um, your research is right on the money because I would say that directly correlates to me. Certainly the older I've gotten, the more I'm probably like that. And don't get me wrong, I still have a competitive streak and absolutely want to win, but it is definitely a different kind of, yeah, you get to, I think, a place in your life where you are interested more in the mentoring and the teaching and the life skills development and, and still that, but you find a different way to communicate those messages. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're really hitting the nuance there of right. Communicating those complex messages. And, and you talk about John Wooden, he didn't win a national championship until his 15th, 16th year in the coaching, you know, <laughs> yeah. and, and he, and he, you know, he had some losing seasons in there before that and a lot of growth and he went to go learn from other people, but you know, that takes time to develop as a coach and you don't have to be a certain way. It's more about developing that continuity and that culture and staying true, I think, to your vision and values and seeing that through over time. But I'm, I'm, I'm curious too, you brought up the concept of love and, and juggling accountability and in gymnastics as well as other sports, right? The talk about growth, mindset, grit, resilience, you can, and in gymnastics, right, they'll push through pain. That, you know, we start to normalize pain. Yes, you know? that's a big and, one. And, and I, you know, right, I was a speed coach down in Mississippi at, a, at, a, at the club, you know, and, you know, there's little, there's little bumps and bruises, and then there's some ongoing stress fractures, and yeah. then there's real sprains, and so how do you, how do you go about that nuance there and juggling? Like, look, I love you and care about you, so I need you to chill out a little bit too. And I need you to take a little bit of rest and work on some of these other things and not just, you know, jump off or run through a wall because you can now. Yeah, I think, I mean, that's such an excellent question. And we, we talk a lot about you have to communicate, right? And we know it's hard. We know you don't want to. No student athlete, 18 to 23 year old, probably wants to tell their coach especially if they're passionate about what they're doing, right? And they love what they're doing. They don't want to be shut down. <laughs> they don't want to be modified. They want to be able to do what they love. And, you know, and um, of course we all get tired and wish we had a day we could take to ourselves, but that's different than the overall long-term kind of thing. And so we know it's uncomfortable, but we just keep sending the message over and over. It is better to be 
proactive, and especially from an injury perspective, a pain, a hurt perspective, tell us now, because there's so many things we might be able to do on the front end to cut that timeline down. So if you communicate with us early, maybe you're only out two weeks instead of six weeks, right? And, or maybe if you communicate with us early, it means we can't do pounding events, vault and floor, things that really, you know, are more impactful, but may, and maybe it's a lower body kind of ache or pain, but we can do bars and we can train on bars. And so it's not an automatic, I think what we've communicated to them, it's not an automatic shutdown. We can look at other ways to modify things that you can still do visualizations in the gym. You can still do things that do benefit high level athletics and high level performance. And it doesn't mean, a, sometimes it means a complete shutdown, but sometimes it, most of the time it really doesn't. And so what can we do? But the message has to be there. And it is a fine line. I will tell you what, because no, do we want to hear about every single stub toe? Yes. No, there's an element of you're going to be sore and it, your body's going to hurt. And remember, they've been doing this for a long, long time. If you've started at six, year old, six years old and now you're 18, 19, 20, you've been doing this for a long time. You are going to have <laughs> aches and pains and previous past injuries and, you know, whatever it might be, but that's still, so no, it's that balance of, do you know your body? How self-aware are you? How can you communicate with us? This probably just needs some, you know, treatment. You know, I need to sit in an ice bath. I need to heat, you know, and I just need to be consistent with that versus this is, this is a new pain, right? And I need to make sure that I'm communicating with our director of sports medicine. I think one of the best things, again, we're just fortunate to have the support staff where I do have one of the best um, sports medicine directors in the country and Julie Campbell, and she's our full-time, you know, athletic trainer for gymnastics. And she can be that person who they can feel comfortable coming to and communicating, right? They don't maybe necessarily feel comfortable right away coming to the coaches, but I certainly can go to Julie and communicate with Julie. Hey, this is hurting me. This doesn't feel so good. And what can we do from there? And then Julie can work with the coaches and we can work together as a team. You know, our goal is not to push them through feeling bad. We want them to feel good because we know they're high level athletes, right? And by the way, if you feel good, they're going to perform really well. It's only I notice they don't perform really well when there's an extra level of stress, whether that's academics or athletics, whether that's, you know, they're hurting in some way, shape or form. And if we can find ways to minimize that, you can see and you can see them want to perform and the gymnastics be a, an incredible level. So, and I would also give credit to our student athletes. Again, gymnasts in particular tend to know their bodies. So they've learned throughout the year out the years. Okay. How do I advocate? How do I communicate now? Things have changed. What, you know, how can I say this? I can't maybe do this today, Melissa, but can I do this instead? And I can't really do that many numbers of that particular skill, but I can do more numbers of this skill instead. And so we have those kinds of conversations. And you, and, you, and I'll provide a bit of context for people listening to you guys have access then to full-time licensed or certified athletic trainers, strength coaches, nutritionists, sports psychologists. And I'm, and I'm saying that because I know that in the youth gym culture as well, they don't have always those same resources, but they want to train the same way that they see or hear, they might hear you talking about it. And, you know, they've got to find that support staff or sports medicine team and others to really provide that expertise to know when to push or when to you know, take a day off or, or modify, like you said, too. I think what's a 
a little harder for them is, you know, coaches at all levels, they work so hard. And honestly, I give all our youth program coaches in all sports around the country a lot of credit. I mean, they're truly the ones developing a lot of these skills. Now, don't get me wrong. They can come to college and continue to enhance skills, um, perfect skills, in some cases, learn a diff- additional skills or more difficulty in our situation. But they're the ones at the lower level really doing all this true skill development and, you know, and don't have all those resources. But I would also say there's a different level of being six to 16 or six to 14 during that development piece than there is when they're right now. And so it's going to change for them even over time in terms of maybe they don't have to modify at 10 years old, you know, like, well, you would hope not, but, (laughs) but they do now at 20 years old. And so it's also different span depending where you are on that journey. Yeah. What what sort of advice do you have for the, you know, youth gymnasts and parents and coaches at that level? You know, if they're looking to go on to the collegiate level, uh, you know, what sort of things would you like to see and, and are you concerned about versus, you know, the things that they're maybe concerned about that really aren't that big of a deal? You know, I'm going to probably say, it, it, again, not very specific, my answer, but I'm going to probably say the three things we look for, right? Skill development. So the real, true technique, fundamentals, basics that the shaping is there, right? That how to do the skill with the proper biomechanics is there. We're going to probably look at academics. Obviously, you know, this is you're your coming to university. Academics is first and foremost. Like now we say gymnastics runs very close second. <laughs> um, but obviously you're here to get a degree and graduate and be able to go out into the real world and be successful or find your whatever your passion is. And then character, you know, any, you know, those things. Hey, are they coachable? Are they loyal? Are they trustworthy? Can, you know, do, okay, not everyone, especially with this, the difficulties around the world right now, right? Not everyone's going to have a positive attitude all the time. So I know that's a little bit naive, but do they tend to look at things bit, you know, a bit more positively? I think those character things, you know, can we trust them? Are they going to be loyal? Are they going to be hardworking? Do they have a good work ethic? You know how, and those things are important. All those character things. And and again, that's up to coaches and families and support staff, whether you're youth or older to be able to support and learn. I don't, I don't think it's about, this is my personal opinion, even with our student athletes at this age. I don't think it's about knowing all those things or doing them all perfectly. I think it's, will you have a growth mindset about it? You know, we all make mistakes. I make mistakes. Our student athletes, you know, maybe I'm not happy, you know, or we're not pleased with A or B or C. That's okay. As long as you're learning from it, (laughs) as long as we're not repeating the same mistakes over and over and over. And so I think it's really important to have, I mean, no one wants, you know, we spend a lot of time together as you can only imagine, right? (laughs) We all want to be hardworking, but we also want to enjoy each other's company. No one really wants to be around anyone who has a poor attitude or, you know, manipulates things behind someone's back or brings drama or now, are you going to have some of that? You know, you're, (laughs) it's life. (laughs) Families have some of that. You know, you're, we're surrounded by, you know, <laughs> we're, we're surrounded by 18 to 23 old women, 15 of them. Like, you know, like, oh, I'm, not taking, I'm not taking the bait. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I'd say that 
for any gender, but I would say, yeah, don't take the bait on that one. But I would say, you know, nothing's ever going to be perfect 100% of the time is, I guess, what I'm saying. But our, but again, I think as a group as a whole, moving toward, you know, always moving in the direction of, again, the communication, the respect, you know, all of those things that, you know, these intangibles we've talked about, as long as you're moving down that path, then I think it's okay. Well, it sounds like you only have, how many, how many women are on the team? Is it, you know? 15. So you've only got 15 that have to fit with your vision and those practices. It's <laughs> not like you're trying to recruit, you know, 5,000, you know, students that are all going to fall online and be, a, you know, that kind of thing. So, you know, like that, for me, the message too is when you're looking for that kind of fit, you know, you can try to look for what you need and I, I, you tell me otherwise too, but you may say, well, yeah, you're a great athlete, but I just don't think this is the right fit for you. Yeah. And I, by the way, when you, when Meg asked early, you know, have you, you know, have you, what mistakes have you done and have you lost people or people, you know, so I have early in the career prioritized at, you know, it's easy to get caught up in that as a coach, you know, you see this dream blue chip athlete and you know, they're tremendous, but maybe they don't fit your culture and character and you take a chance. And have we done that? Of course we've done that, you know, and then you find out, was it worth it? Is, you know, is it, is it the right fit? And is it worth just having someone? And that's why we focus on, I think now we really move to the character stance and the recruiting, right? Because you can have an elite level athlete, an Olympian or, you know, and they can be phenomenal, but if they're no, if they're burned out of their sport, they don't have a passion anymore. They're not interested in engaging. They don't want to be a good teammate. And that's kind of a stereotype. I'm not saying that even exists. I'm saying that you could have that, right? And then, or you could have a, a phenomenal like student but, you know, they're not interested anymore in their sport, you know, and all they do want to do is spend their time in the classroom. And again, it's where is the balance? And that's where we talk about if, you know, the character, if you have good character and you're centered and you're grounded and, you know, you might go, you know, maybe you do make a mistake, but you're probably going to learn from it and center it back to yourself. You know, you're probably going to find the balance. You know, you might go off, you might explore, you might push the boundaries, <laughs> you might whatever, but for the most part, you're going to have the values to bring back to the center, especially when you're hopefully surrounded by other people who share the same common wants as far as high-level academics and athletics and the same kind of passions and desires. And I think that's why it's so important to have a core group of people, you know, especially even in leadership. We're really, really fortunate right now. We have had um, now several years a fantastic leadership on our team. And that has continued to the three captains who are the three seniors who are currently on our team right now. And again, they all just like the coaching staff have different strengths, different things they bring to the program and it's balanced out with each other. And then there's, that means there's something for each person on our team. You know, you might relate better to this person than you do to this person, but is there a way for you to get what you need? You know, and for, is there a way for them to help you refocus your thoughts, <laughs> get back on track, you know, those kinds of things. Well, I think certainly the leadership in the team is reflective of the leadership of the program. So we, I hate to wrap this up. I, I want to keep talking forever. I'm hoping you'll come back on, but I, I just love the way that you, and it's so obvious how you put your heart and soul into your coaching and into your team and I want to thank you for that for all of your players you've ever had because it's so obvious so thank you 
Um, Yes, thank you so much for having me. It's been such a joy and pleasure to reflect. And I learn every time, every time I talk about it, I also learn. Yeah, I've really enjoyed it. Thank you. So what we'd like to do at the end of each of our episodes is ask if there is a coaching story, good or bad, that you'd like to maybe share with us. A coaching story. You're going to put me on the spot. (laughs) Uh, Maybe not yours, but one that you remember of someone else, a friend. I, um, I won't, I won't necessarily, maybe not quite in the story in the true sense of the word, but I will just say, you know, the year that we went to, you know, we're in the, you know, four on the floor, the top four programs in the country, which was last year. Um, excuse me, 2019. Yes. So last year, it was just the the pride and being on the floor and, you know, watching them rise to that occasion. And, you know, we, we had had just winning our first regional championship. So I guess that would be the story. I'm going to even go back to regionals, forget nationals. Regionals going into that year, winning that first regional championship, and then going to the restaurant after the competition was over and we bought sparkling apple cider um, <laughs> to be able to celebrate with the team. And it was a very small restaurant and, and we were able to do lots of toasts and just, and it was just lots of parents and alums and family and friend were, you know, friends were there. And it was just such a wonderful feeling to watch them the vision come alive. You know, you talk about it and you talk about it and you talk about it, but till you really know and experience it. And we had been to nationals previous times, but we had never won a, you know, a regional championship. And so it was just really fun to have that. So certainly that memory will stick out. And then lots of, for another time, lots of memories in the gym of athletes that you'll never even see on the competition floor that aren't in the lineups that works so hard to push our team from behind to get better or come back from some kind of injury or put together a routine that you didn't even think was possible. And the sheer joy and excitement of watching Grace Broadhurst is one more story, an athlete that comes to mind. She competed in her senior year, a bar routine, finally in a lineup at a competition and the entire team tackled her after that, you know, after it was done. And, you know, just watching moments like that also, I think is, is exciting. Those are definitely moments to anchor us, aren't they? It's just wonderful. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Melissa Kutcher-Reinhardt, head coach and fearless leader of the University of Denver's (laughs) women's gymnastics team. Make sure to check them out online when they hit the mats again after COVID. I have a new favorite saying. I heard this one the other day and I have to try it out. Stay humble and don't let the pie crumble. Thanks for listening. Make sure to leave us a five-star review and hit the follow button because there's more sport knowledge on the way. If you're interested in more information or want to engage in further conversation about these and other issues in sport, visit our website at spknmedia.com. To stay updated on all things SPKN, follow us on social media at spknmedia or email us at team at spknmedia.com and we'll be happy to welcome you to the SPKN community.